chapter 14. chapter 14 verse 35 the Bible says there and he that owneth the house shall come and tell the priest saying it seemeth to me there as it were a plague in the house and then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest go into it to see the plague that all that is in the house be not made unclean and afterward the priest shall go in to the house and he shall look on the plague and behold if the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow strakes greenish or reddish which in the sight are lower than the wall and then I want you to skip down to verse 40 the Bible says then shall the priest command they take away the stones in which the plague is and they shall cast them into an unclean place without the city and he shall cause the house to be scraped within round about and they shall pour out the dust that they scrape off without the city into an unclean place and they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones and he shall take other mortar and shall plaster the house. And if the plague come again and break out in the house, after that he hath taken away the stones, and after he hath scraped the house, and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, the stones of it, and the timber thereof, and all the mortar of the house. And he shall carry them forth out of the city into an unclean place. I want to focus your attention on verse 44. The Bible says there, Then the priest shall come and look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house, it is unclean. And I want to preach to you here for uh, the next little while on the dilemma of a fretting leprosy. And I believe the Lord is going to speak to our hearts and, um, and let's ask the Lord to touch us here tonight as we hear uh, his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I am thankful, Lord, again, Lord, for the spiritual atmosphere that's in this house. I'm thankful, Lord, for, God, the people that are here. And now I pray, Lord, to not free our minds of every distraction, every hindrance. 
I pray, Lord, tonight that this word, God, would fall on good ground. And in some way, Lord, that you would use it, God, to call us, Lord, to a greater place. Lord, I want revival in our church. Lord, I don't want a, I don't want a good service. Lord, not just a, a good service. That's not what I'm after. I pray, Lord, that you breathe revival and spiritual life, Lord, into every one of us. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that there would be an honesty, Lord, about our own spirits. That, God, instead of looking at everybody else, Help us, Lord, to look at our own lives. Oh, God, help me to inspect my heart. Lord, if there are things that are there that, God, are, are dead now and they used to live, oh, I ask you, Lord, tonight, that there be a resurrection of purpose. Revive, Lord, our spirits. Lord, how we need your hand. Lord, on our lives and our minds. And I pray, Lord, that, God, not just for myself, but I pray that, Lord, for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I um, have, um, over the last, I would say, two months or so, intensely, uh, but perhaps since last November or so, the, just a stirring of my own heart and spirit um, about <coughs> my personal need for revival. And over the last six weeks or so, I have sort of uh, preached in that area, in, in that theme. And, and I, uh, tonight, I want spiritual renewal in my heart I want revival in my life. I want my mind to be so saturated with the scriptures and I want my worship to be clean and free. I want my prayer life to be vibrant and alive. I want to pray in a place of spiritual authority. And I have uh, mentioned to you over the last uh, few weeks or so historical revivals that have have taken place and, and even some of those have been from this local church. But I would uh, just say here tonight that, that I don't want just revival just for our church here, but I want it for our community. I want it for our county. I want it for the southeastern section of Alabama and even into northwest Florida. That means that there are going to be other churches that uh, they may not be in the same mindset that, that we are over particular matters, but I am still praying for those churches that there would be people in those places that would begin to have an insatiable hunger for God and that there would be pastors that would become flaming evangels in whatever pulpit it is that they serve because we are at the end. I would say this for our local church here tonight that 
if there are uh, things that come with revival, undesirable things, and I know that, that revival uniquely as a way of pulling out uh, the weirdos and, and sometimes the kooks and, and that sort of thing, but, but the overall benefit of revival far outweighs the oddities of those that we might have to come in contact with. And I want to tell you tonight that it revives spiritual authority in your life whenever revival visits local churches. And whenever you start giving consideration to this matter of revival, it revives our awareness, I believe, of spiritual warfare, that you literally are in a war, that you're stepping into a battlefield every single day that you get out of the bed. It revives the anointing of the Holy Ghost and then it revives personal evangelism in every one of our lives because there's something about it. You know that for one of the greatest revivals that we had uh, in our local church was whenever Brother Clark came and Brother Patterson mentioned one of the stories of that this morning here, but, but there was something about it that once the Lord started awakening us and reviving us, that there was a, a matter of personal evangelism that caused us to want to try to reach out to the people that were lost. And during that revival in May of 2006, we prayed through right at 35 people to the Holy Ghost during those particular times. And there are families that are here tonight that it was that revival that, that either you were converted in that time or else it shored up things in your life. May God help us to have and experience the matter of revival. But here's the thing that I have to tell you about revival. That there are certain things that revival that they uniquely have a focus on. Sometimes it's repentance, sometimes it's prayer, sometimes it is a restoration of doctrine, other times it is a restoration of worship there. But there's one thing that seems to be common with every single revival that, every, that ever takes place, and that is the matter of prayer. That, that the church becomes a place where that, that, that pastor and those spiritual leaders in that church, that they give themselves to prayer and that the saints of God, that they begin to give themselves to a point of prayer where that it's not just this matter of now I lay me down to sleep and so forth, but there is a purpose that comes to your life of prayer. I would also say this, that the more that you begin to pray, then the more that there is an awareness of our need of commitment to holiness and separation from the world. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
And then what John saw in Revelation 18, the Bible tells us, Revelation chapter 18 and, and verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not overpartakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. That, that matter of separation from this world. It started out even in the garden that the Lord told Adam and Eve, I'm going to tell you there's two trees that are here in this garden and there is one of those trees that you need to make sure that you stay away from boundaries that were set there in that place. It continued when the separation of Noah and his family, it continued on in Genesis 12 with Abraham and the separation of his family. It continued with the children of Israel there in the land of Egypt that they separated themselves from that worldly government that was run by an ungodly Pharaoh. And it did not disappear when we got to the New Testament. There still is a very strong call that comes to every one of us to say that we must separate ourselves from this world. I have a feeling that one of the reasons that holiness perhaps has fallen in the streets is because of a, a, a overwhelming biblical illiteracy that has come to the pews in our churches. It has also been mirrored by a biblical illiteracy, I'm sorry to say, that has been fostered by sometimes even in our pulpits. And it has also fallen in, in a lack because there are pastors that have turned in their courage card and they no longer have the courage to stand up and to call not only themselves but to call congregations to a place of personal separation. They were afraid to go against the cultural trends of the day and, and they became fearful of the, of the faces that were sitting there in the pews. Make God forgive us for that, that somehow that we find in this last dispensation before the Lord comes back that there is a desire to get near and closer to the Lord. And so if there's going to be a last day revival, then the pulpits of America, and especially the pulpit of this church, is not going to have to just call for holiness and prayer and worship in our churches. It's not going to be just a call for it. But that man and those spiritual leaders are not just going to call for it, but there's going to have to be a demand for it. That they just stand up and say that the Lord is calling calling us to a place of holiness and separation from the world. And yet that call there, that, that means that if they have to demand it, that means that they're going to have to hold themselves accountable and they're going to have to hold their congregations uh, in a place of accountability as well. And I understand that there's got to be a need for, for, for liberty and there's got to be a need for 
for, for compassionate uh, firmness in our lives. But there is a very clear direction that the Lord calls every single pastor and every single preacher to. He's called him to a mandate that says, I'm going to tell you what your job is, is to do everything you can to present a holy and unspotted bride before the Lord Jesus Christ. The spiritual authority, the freshness of vision, the sweetness of fellowship with the Lord. Those are just three of the benefits that comes to our lives personally if we're willing to say that we want revival and yet there's obstacles and impediments sometimes it comes to uh, revivals and spiritual awakenings in <coughs> the lives of people. The verses that we read here tonight, just again, very small portion of the entire book of Leviticus. There are somewhere, there's 27 chapters that you find there in uh, the book of Leviticus, somewhere around 856, 859 verses that you find there. But here is what you find that is crucial about that, that one-seventh, and the book of Leviticus deals with this matter about leprosy. Leprosy is a type of sin. It's a type of, um, of the Lord was saying, okay, I'm going to expose and I'm going to show you that whenever somebody has leprosy, that it is indicative of what is taking place in the inner part of that person's life. I have to tell you this, I know that, that, that most of you, if you've labored through the bread charts that a lot of times, when you get to the book of Leviticus, there's a tendency that you bog down with it. Uh, there are so many details that are there. And there's, there's things that, that you kind of think, boy, I, I, I'm ready to hurry up and get out of the book of Leviticus. But did you know that the book of Leviticus was the very first book that was studied by the children of the Jews, Jewish children that were sent to the synagogue. This that we read here today was taught in the synagogues, not only just in ancient times, but in modern times as well. And yet we find ourselves in the New Testament era that, that the book of Leviticus is probably one of the most neglected books that we look at in the word of the Lord. It, it, it's referred to somewhere around 40 times in the New Testament. It, it's a sequel to the book of Exodus and it is written by Moses despite what some liberal theologians would try to say. In fact, Jesus affirms the authorship of the book of Leviticus toward uh, what he says, Mark chapter or Matthew 8 and 4 and Mark 1 44 cross reference with Leviticus chapter 14 and verses 2 through 32. Now, here's the thing that you say, Well, what interest is that? I mean, what kind of te why are you giving us this technical information about the book of Leviticus? You probably wouldn't have had to do that 25 or 30 years ago or 40 or 50 years ago, but now there's a battle on for the word of the Lord and that there are are liberal theologians that want to come along and, and they want to, to deny and they want to say that the scriptures are full 
of errors and they don't want to use words like inerrancy that they say that the Bible is full of mistakes and so if you wonder why I'm making a big deal out of these details that are here that I've given to you tonight that is the reason is because there are people that are doing their best even among the apostolic movement then they're pulling at the threads to try to unravel the word of the Lord let me tell you this here tonight if we lose the word of the Lord we have lost the entire battle because that goes back to Genesis chapter 3 whenever there was a war on the word and the serpent came in and began to ask Eve the questions hath God really said and so the matter that sometimes that we look at the book of Leviticus, there is so much there that deals with the matter of the sacrificial offerings that God required of Israel. It established a covenant relationship with Israel. You start looking through and you find the sacrifices. You find the priesthood. You find the laws that either render somebody clean or unclean. And whenever they say they were clean, what that meant was that they were qualified for worship and then whenever they said that they were unclean that meant that they were disqualified for worship and then you begin to track through and you start seeing that there's various special times and seasons of of worship that are that are given there and yet here is what God calls for that he begins to tell the children of Israel, he said, look, he said, these sacrificial offerings that I'm wanting you to, uh, uh, that, that I'm wanting you to, to give in to or, or to, to offer uh, to me is, is, uh, is, is I want you to know this. You're not trying to appease a, a hostile God. That's not the point of it. I, I hope I'm not so over your head right now. I pray you're tracking along with me. And, and uh, sometimes the challenge of our day is to want to make and dumb down congregations and just make them I'm looking for Reagan. Okay. Because this word is a bad word. And you need not say it around her because she'll call you on it. But the tendency in our day is to dumb down theology for congregations so that we make church people stupid. My mama's saying I'll not be saying that word either, okay? So, all right, so I'll just say it one time and pass on, okay? But, but I, I'm just telling you now, bro, Brother Ruff here, he's few days, he's going to be learning how to fly a helicopter. I guarantee it. He's going to want to know, is there any errors in these manuals? Because whenever I get this thing up 15,000, 20,000 feet above the air, I need to make sure that this manual is telling me exactly how I better fly this helicopter. And I'm going to tell you this, and Brother Wells, a pilot, Brother Abersol out of town up North Alabama. Now, listen, if we want our flight manuals accurate, and if we want our building plans accurate and if we want our health care records accurate then I'm just going to plead with you tonight and say we need to have our theology accurate 
We've got to have our theology accurate. It's not that I'm up here trying to say I'm so smart. That's not the job. The job is for me to try to break it down and for you to be able to get it. And you say, I see what you're saying. I understand that's what the word of God is about. So back to the sacrifices. The Lord said, look. He said, I'm not wanting you to offer sacrifices to me because you're trying to appease me because I'm angry with you. He said, here's the reason of it is I want you to understand that what these sacrifices do is they restore fellowship. It's not that God is angry and that God is trying to crush the life out of you. He's just saying, come on, Israel. I want to have fellowship with you. And then that tracks over into the New Testament church. And you find that in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Philippians 2, 17, Hebrews 10, 20 through 22, Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16, and then 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. What is God? God doing. He's saying, I want you to be a living sacrifice so that whenever you get out on your knees that there's fellowship that is not impeded by a lack of holiness or that worldliness is in your life or when you walk into a house of worship that you can lift your hands or you can clap your hands and there is fellowship that takes place. Let, let, me, let me dig in a little more and and I'm going to say this in two or three minutes, and I spent, I know you think I, I, need, I need therapy. And uh, brother and sister Mullen, may God bless their minds when they saw what they saw the other night. Nathan uh, took them back into my study and took them upstairs, there's a door, and uh, it's supposed to be like a secret closet, and he let them in that place, and uh, there are thousands of books that are there, and and, uh, and Brother Mullen said to Nate, said, you're, you're, I think your dad's got, got a problem. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I may have a problem, uh, but I love to read, and... Um, I want to invest my mind in the Word and books that stimulate my mind, and that's the majority of what those are there. So I'm going to talk to you for about two or three minutes of what I spent about 30 to 45 minutes talking to Brother Wayne Naylor about the other day, and, and that's this. The, the problem with the modern-day church is they look at holiness as restrictive and prohibitive. That, that's all they see. Most, most people that are spiritually immature, when you ask them about holiness, the first thing they drift to is they drift to, they say, oh, it's prohibitive, it's restrictive. Brother Patterson trying to control you. Brother Harrelson trying to control you. That, that church is a cult. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to restrict you with rules when that's not what holiness is about. Holiness is about fellowship. 
And here's what the Lord knew. The Lord knew that while we were walking down here in this world, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I've got to let you know that there are some prohibitions and there are some restrictions, but it's not what you think it is. It's not legalism. It's not rule-minding. It has to do with fellowship. That's what it has to do with. So that whenever I get out on my knees and it feels like heaven just boom gets into my private place of prayer and into your private place of prayer, that's what holiness is about. It's not restrictive or prohibitive. It's about the Lord saying, listen, if you'll cast off those unfruitful works of darkness, then I'll ride in your truck with you. I'll be with you in the darkest of night. I'll be in a place when you begin to pray that you will sense the presence of the Lord. That's what, that's what holiness is about. And, uh, and again, I, I just want to just, just tell you that uh, it's spiritually immature to look at holiness in any other way. I want to read this text to you here tonight in the Amplified. And um, Leviticus 14, 35, it says, Then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, It seems to me that there is some sort of disease in my house. And then the priest shall command that they empty the house before he goes in to examine the disease so that all that is in the house may not be declared unclean so that all that is in the house may not be declared unclean. Afterward, he shall go in to see the house. Verse 37, he shall examine the disease and if it is in the walls of the house with depressed spots of dark green or dark red appearing beneath the surface of the wall. Then skip down to verse 40. The Bible says he shall command that they take out the disease stones and cast him into an unclean place outside the city. He's going to cause the house to be scraped within roundabout, and the plaster or mortar that is scraped off to be emptied out in an unclean place outside the city. And, and they shall put other stones in the place of those stones, and he shall plaster the house with fresh mortar. The disease returns, verse 43, if the disease returns, breaking out in the house after he has removed the stones and has scraped and plastered the house, then the priest shall come and look, and if the disease is spreading in the house, it is a rotting or corroding leprosy in the house. It is unclean. He shall tear down the house, its stones and its timber and all the plaster or mortar of the house and shall carry them forth out of the city into an unclean place. Again, let me reiterate. 27 chapters in the book of Leviticus, 859 verses or so, and one-seventh of the book deals with this matter of leprosy. Previously, you can read in Leviticus 13 and 14 what was to take place if that frightful disease got into that person's life. But, but why would there be leprosy 
or a fretting leprosy that would get into that house. Let me remind you a little bit of some of the history. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it tells us in verse 1, When the Lord your God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And you think, oh dear God, why? Why the scorched earth? Why is it that the Lord would say, when you get into the promised land, that these seven nations, that they have to be wiped out? In fact, dire circumstances, if they didn't follow through with that command, Numbers 33. Clay, did I give you that one? Numbers 33. Numbers 33 and verse 55. Look at that. The Bible says, I'll wait for you to get it up there. My apology for having 20 pages of sermon notes. I'm on page 7, but I've got most of it memorized, and so don't worry, I won't have to walk through all of it. But Numbers 33 and 55 Here's what Moses writes. He said, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them, they're going to be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they're going to vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass, and it, and it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. And here's what the Lord was saying. I'm just telling you now, if you don't conquer them, then the idols that these people serve, that they, they, are, they are demons. You say, oh, you're, you're getting far-fetched with that. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses talks about the goat demons, and, and then Paul gets to the church at Corinth and and tells the church at Corinth, he said, I'm telling you, you're coming to the table, and what you're doing is whenever you come to the table, how in the world do you think that you're going to have communion with the Lord whenever you're actually fellowshipping and you're dining with devils? That's what the Bible says. Now, why in the world would the Lord make such a big deal out of this? Because here is a spiritual application for us today. He's telling us, he's saying, look, if you don't deal with these idols, what they're going to do is they're going to be like pricks or stobs that are going to be in your eyes. You will be blinded spiritually. And then he said, there will be like thorns that will get into your side, which will hinder your mobility. Now, I wonder how many people that you have seen and observed, and I have to say there's probably been times in my own life where that, that I have been spiritually blinded and my spiritual mobility has been hindered because I did not deal with the enemies in my life that the Lord said you need to get these things out of your life. 
Now, I know, I know most of y'all probably never had that take place in your life, but I have times where I was blinded spiritually. The God of this world hath blinded their minds. There, there was mobility that was limited because I didn't follow through and get these enemies out of my life. But the Lord in His grace and in His mercy toward Israel, He was helping them to see something. And what was He helping them to see? He was saying that whenever you get into these houses and there are streaks of mildew or there are streaks of red, then what you have is you've got leprosy in that house. And my grace and mercy is going to show you that it's in the house. I ran across this here a few years ago when I was preaching through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 10. This is Rahab. She's talking to Joshua and Caleb. She said, For we have heard how that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. They were giant kings, and you utterly destroyed them. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She knew how to 40 years before that when the children of Israel were coming out of the land of, of, of Egypt that they got a hold of these kings, these Amorites before doubt choked them down and they got to Kadesh Barnea and it was a place of hesitation. Oh dear God, I've had my share of Kadesh Barnea where I hesitated and stopped and didn't go forward and fiddled around and wasted time and, and it hindered the progress God wanted in my life. Children of Israel was in that same condition whenever they got to that place at Kadesh Barnea. But here's the part that she was getting at. She said, listen to me. She said, these, these pagan nations, these heathen nations, whenever they knew that you were coming to come to get us and take over, they got scared. And so what they did was they melted their gold down into small idols. And then what they would do is they would take those idols and they would stuff them in the walls. And they would put them in the foundation of those houses. And so the Lord said, Moses, here's what I'm going to do for you. Whenever you get there, you remember the promise in, in uh, Deuteronomy 6. He said, here's the deal, nation. He said, when you get there, he said, you're going to benefit from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to live in cities that you did not construct. He said, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. And yet the Lord in his grace and in his mercy said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Every house that you get into, that whenever you walk in there unwittingly and you're not even going to know where you're living at, he said, I've got the spiritual perception. And he said, if there are demon gods that are hidden in the walls of those houses, Houses. He said, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk in there and you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to look at the wall and you're going to say, what in the world is, is going on here? What, what in the world is taking place here? 
He said, here's what I'm going to show you. He said, I'm going to show you that in the atmosphere of those homes that these are things that have invaded you and I want you to see. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to let the priest come in and he's going to take care of it. And if, the, if it goes away, then you'll know there's not demon idols that are in the walls and are in the foundation and you're going to be okay. He said, but... He said if he replaces the stones, puts some mortar up, comes back, reinspects it, <coughs> and it's still there, then you know you got a problem. Because that dilemma of fretting leprosy affected the homes where those people lived. That's why whenever you come to church, and you can be abundantly blessed and, and filled with Holy Ghost power. And then when you get home, there's chaos. And there's spouses at each other's throats. And the kids are out of control. You're like, what, what, what in the world? We, we just walked out of this, this service. It's because this sanctuary has been sanctified. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of worship. It's a place where people sing. It's a place where that the word of the Lord is read. And yet our homes, the atmosphere has not been sanctified. And uh, there's not a lot of prayer that goes on in our homes. There's not too much worship music that's played in our homes, and uh, when revival comes to churches, it can't just affect the church. It's got to affect our homes. The voices in our homes, the words in our homes, the spirits in our homes, fretting, rotting, Corroding leprosy. Now, I uh, I realize that that I live my my life is is so sheltered. I'm, I mean, it, it's it's not even funny. The only time we have chaos in our house is whenever. Um, the grandchildren are there. And then, y'all know I got a grand horse. It's supposed to be a dog, but it's a grand horse. And I love Sullivan. I got pictures of me and Sullivan. And Sullivan is a, he's a golden doodle. He's brown. He's a beautiful dog. And uh, But when the dog gets in the house, he's a house dog. He lives in Lauren's house. And, and I was out there the other day, and I was like, this dog is sick. I was working, doing some stuff for her uh, in her house, and she was at work, and, and uh, he wasn't bouncing off while he was laying down on the floor. And I thought, I said, Sullivan, you, are you okay? He raised his head up and looked and laid his head back down. I thought, oh, my Lord. But you get a grand dog and a bunch of grandchildren and a bunch of kids and a bunch of 
daughter-in-laws and and you get the mix going and I'm telling you is that's that's about the only chaos I have in my house. And uh, I need to move on. I was about to tell you something about my wife, but anyway, I'll But 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 I I will, I will say this a blessing, okay? I, I live in such a sheltered place. And uh so I've been working on this message now for a couple of weeks and I, I had some I've had some help with it because I, I discussed it with a couple of families and just kind of told them the gist of what I was 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 gonna work with and and I started asking them. I said, what what did you come out of? What did it look like? And uh they started talking to me about music and uh, and what they listen to. And uh, I've got, got it all here, and I researched, and I took some of the names they told me. I'm not even going to tell you the names because I don't want you to go and, and, um, and dig around and find them. Okay, but, but these are country music. And uh, so I, I, I looked, and I like what was the top song. And I found out the top song from this guy, and it's a song that insinuates, tells a story about, and I didn't listen to the song, I just read the lyrics, tells a story about this fella that goes to a bar, and he's sitting over in a corner, he's drinking, he's looking across the way, and he sees a couple, and the guy's not paying attention to his, to his girlfriend or his wife, and he starts making eye contact with her, and, and the word that he keeps asking is, are, are you leaving with him? Insinuating, do you want to go home with me? And then there was another song, and it was a song about a, about a guy just ball it down, guy lusting after a girl drinking a beer. And then there was another song that was full of, I was shocked, it was full of obscenities and whiskey drinking and generally idolizing everything that was, was crude about the South. Uh, but they also told me that they didn't just listen to country, but they listened to rap. And so they told me some of the names of the songs or some names of the people they listened to. And so I started tracking that down and and uh, as a rapper whose songs are so obscene, I won't even mention those songs to you. There's another that that was a male. This was a a woman. She was sort of a rapper, rhythm and blues, and uh, and I started looking at that a lot of sexual innuendo, a lot of vulgarity, and. Uh, and then her husband listened to a lot of dark metal, death metal, and started looking at some of the lyrics of those songs. And, and it, the lyrics were designed in such a way that they created anger and rage and, and depression and hopelessness. You may remember a few months ago at Astroworld, November of last year, a fellow by the name of Travis Scott was a rapper. And uh, there were... Ten people that were trampled to death in that huge crowd there. He's very popular. His music is full of obscenities and crude sexual references and racial epithets. That is what 
his music looks like. And, uh, and when you listen to that music, it, it has an impact. And the voices, those voices, those voices that are in our homes, and those voices that are in our vehicles. And uh, I, I was uh, talking and, and one of the people told me, he said, I, I'm just, I'll just tell, me, tell you now that, that I would get so stirred up that, that I would, would trip and I would, I would just cuss people out. And, and when they told me that, I, 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 was, I, was, I can't believe that. I, I'm shocked. I never would have believed that. But she said, that's what my playlists were full of. And uh, I'm trying to keep you anonymous, but forgive me, it was, it was Brittany. And I, I told Brittany, I said, Brittany, I can't. And I asked their permission if I could ask, if I could share. And she, she gave me the okay. And, and this was out me coercing and, and twisting their arms. She said, tell, tell them. And if you want to use my name, it's fine. And, and I told her, I said, I can't believe. I said, just looking at you that you never, I can't believe you would have, you would have done something like that. She said, that music, it, was, it filled my life up. She said, but I've I've deleted my playlist. And she said, now my playlists are full of praise and worship. My playlists are full of things that that are God entrenching in my life. Because I want my home to be different. And so so I'll do it. And John Paul shared some things as well. And and then they got to talking. The Sims was the other family that sort of helped me with some of this. And I started digging, and I thought, you know, I'm I hard, I don't ever hardly ever preach about this stuff, and it's so foreign to me because I I'm in a bubble. I hate to admit that to you, but I'm in a I'm in a bubble. I, when I was still working at the hospital, I I still have to admit I was in a bubble there too. They they looked at me like I was a holy roller and. And they laugh at me and, and whatever, but, but so be it. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. And if I'm going to go to heaven, I've got to be isolated from this world down here if I'm going to live over on the world on the other side. And so uh, te- television is almost totally given way now to streaming platforms. There's very few people that watches television much anymore, except maybe the news and, and whatever. Now everybody's streaming things. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and various other deals. And, and uh, I was talking to my brother about this a little earlier this week. I said, Mark, I'm convinced that television was the biggest gateway that destroyed American churches, American pulpits. I, I'm, I'm, I'll just tell you now, to me, that was the biggest Trojan horse that came in to the evangelical world, into the apostolic world, whatever you want to call it, into the Christian world, that television and, and Hollywood getting in. And so they started talking, and uh, we're, let me get to this. Comedians made us laugh at sin, laugh at the Bible, laugh at the church. 
shows that promoted lifestyles that we wouldn't participate in, but we watched somebody else do it. Romans chapter 1, verse 32, Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. And it allowed violence, and it allowed sexual immorality, and it allowed outright idolatry, invasive occultic practices, a lack of civility. And frankly, it was literally a, a soul, I'm going to say this word, it was a soul-damning ignorance. And the picture that I got in my mind while then they were talking to me, and I've read Pilgrim's Progress a number of times, and I need, I need uh, Sarah to, to sketch me up a picture of, of whenever Christian and hopeful are walking out of Vanity Fair. But I, I started thinking about our society, that, that, that Pilgrim's Progress written in the 1600s, that John Bunyan wrote that story, and, and those two men were going through that trying to get out with their souls. This is what John Piper said. He said this in 1995. Get this. He said this in 1995. And John Piper is not a Pentecostal preacher. He said, turn off the television. It's not necessary for relevance, and it is a deadly place to rest your mind. It's pervasive banality and its sexual innuendo and its God-ignoring values have no ennobling effects on a preacher's soul. It kills, he's writing to preachers, he said it kills the spirit, it drives God away, it quenches prayer, it blanks out the Bible, it cheapens the soul, it destroys spiritual power, it defiles almost everything. I have taught and preached for 20 years now and have never owned a television. He said that in 95. He said it is unnecessary for most of you, and it is spiritually deadly for all of you. I, I know I'm in, I know where I'm at. I know, I know where you're at, and some of you are nervous right now, and I thank God that you're nervous. I pray that, God, I th I pray that you're not condemned, but I pray you're convicted. And so John, Paul, and Brittany, I said, okay, so what, what did y'all watch? And, uh, oh, we watched Ghost Adventures, and uh, we watched Hollywood, Hollywood Medium, so homosexual, Tyler Henry can contact the dead. USA was skeptical. USA Today was skeptical. They sent a journalist to go talk to him. And after she talked to him, he conjured up one of her dead relatives and she walked out there a believer. America's most haunted, trying to track ghosts in haunted houses. Paranormal 9-11 tracks first responders that confront the paranormal. And then they told me about Netflix streaming a show called Stranger Things. And, uh, and then they started talking about the nightmares. And uh, Brittany one night said that this, this is a few years ago now. She said, uh, I started 
was having terrifying nightmares. She said, I wake up feeling, John Paul said this as well. said, I, I wake up feeling like somebody's watching me. And uh, Brittany experienced some uh, sleep paralysis and felt like she was just being choked to death. One night while she was asleep, said she woke up and felt like there was a, somebody had a hold of her leg trying to pull her out of the bed. And uh, she said, really, we didn't know what, what was that it was fretting leprosy. It, it was things that was coming in to their lives. And, and, and I want our church to have revival. And I, I pray that and they, they don't watch that stuff anymore. They cut all that out. The, the, the things that John, Paul, and Brittany have done, now y'all be careful, the devil's going to come after you for me saying these things here tonight. But the things they've turned loose of since January of last year is shocking to me that they have turned loose of that and let go of that. That's right. My, hat, my hat's off to both of them. Now here's what's interesting about our cessationist friends. That means pastors and preachers that generally fall into the reformed part who don't believe that there are miracle signs and wonders. They think it stopped when the apostle John died. Y'all okay? I'm... I'm 50 minutes at 50 minutes and 45 seconds right now, okay? Uh, but but they they don't believe that that the that the gifts of the spirit are in operation. They they don't believe in mere they don't believe that the miraculous can take place, but they do believe in the demonic. They do believe in witchcraft. They do believe in these parts. And I, I want to just hold my hands out and say, and some of them are, are friends of mine that I'm acquainted with. And I want to say, come on, guys. You, you believe in spiritual darkness, but you don't believe in spiritual light. You don't believe that the Holy Ghost can transform people's lives and change them and pull them out of those situations and radically transform transform your life I don't get that I don't understand it now the only way I can even begin to understand it is what they do is they look at the charlatans and the wackos and the abusers that are on television and I'm just telling you now I'm against the majority of the stuff that's on the trash bin network Let me move on. But here's what happens when you watch that stuff and there's witchcraft and the occult and these voices are in your home. Uh, those voices are, are there. And sometimes if you wonder, man, I get here at church and I feel so powerful and I feel the Holy Ghost and I feel the strength of the Spirit, but when I get to my home, it's like, what, what happened? You've got, you've got fretting leprosy. I'm going to bump into one other thing, and then I'm going to move on, and I'm, I'm, I'm dropping a lot, and maybe I'll pick it up at a later point. Let's talk about sports. America idolizes sports. 
And yet here's the thing. Most of them are very poor examples of fathers. They're very poor examples of model citizens of responsibility. They spend their lives carousing around. They exalt drug use. They exalt alcohol. They, they, they're fornicators. They're neck deep in sexual immorality. And they're dead silent about the human atrocities that are taking place in China. They're silent about that. But their voices are strong whenever they start talking about, well, a woman has a right to choose. I'm just going to float this out here for a second. God's always had a plan for parenthood. It's called marriage. That, that, that's, what, that's what God's plan is. Okay, and and I know I know that's politically incorrect. I I understand that, but when it gets to be politically incorrect in a church, we're in trouble. And so, how in the world can I, as a spirit-filled believer, allow those voices and those that music? And that lifestyle to get infiltrated in my heart. How, 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 how can I do that, Brother Jonathan? How can I do that, Brother Champion? How can I do that, Brother German? Brother Josh, to hear these voices and then try to live in two worlds and shift in. Oh, I'm at church now and God bless me and help me and let me have a few Holy Ghost goosebumps and and help me to work out my problems and my difficulties. And and hey, God, I'll see you Wednesday night and and then I'll see you. I'm just telling you now, this has got to be something that you do every single day of your life. I won't revive. I want spiritual awakening. I want that in my life and in my spirit. And I've got as much of God as I want. And so there are some that say, well, you know, that's not stuff that gets practiced in my home. That's not things that gets practiced in my life. But there's other things. An unforgiving spirit, a rebellious attitude, a critical nature that tears everything and everybody down, a grip that of anger and strife, a fighting spirit, a spirit of perversion, an attitude of compromise, cursing and backbiting, those things can get rooted into our lives as well. And so... I conclude with this. Here's what you got to do. You got to confess. You got to repent. You got to get this stuff out of your life. It's it's hindering personal revival in your life. And and here's the scary part. It it doesn't just affect you, but it's going to affect your relationship with God, but it's going to impact your children. And so what do we do? I heard, I heard a story. I'll try to keep this as vague as possible so you won't try to put together the 
deal, but this happened in the, in the early 80s. District board had to deal uh, with a minister, and it was somewhere in the United States, and, and, um, and there's no way you can figure out where and who and et cetera and so forth. And uh, this fellow went into a church, and uh, they started having a revival and growth and praying people through. It was a Pentecostal church. And uh, people started getting the Holy Ghost, and that church just boomed, just started growing. Problem was, during that particular period of time, the pastor, I'm sorry to say, got involved in sexual immorality. So the district board had to deal with it. And so the district board came in, and they took his credentials away from him. He didn't hardly even turn, he didn't even hardly look backwards he, he never even went back to his wife and his children. He took off with that person that he was involved with. And, and the, the wife was there with three daughters, and she was living in the parsonage. And she said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the district board said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to let you stay here. And, of course, by that time, the church had basically imploded. They had bring ministers in on the weekends and try to prop things up and help it out. Well, finally... They, they got a, a minister and his wife, they had a daughter and a son, and uh, got them all the way on the opposite coast where they was at, brought them into uh, this place, and, and they started working. They knew what they were up against, and they started working. And uh, next thing you know, they started taking off and getting some traction. They went back and run down the folks that they could find that had basically lost confidence there in not only the church, but in the ministry as well. And the church started, started coming back and things started happening again. About 90 days into that, that pastor told his wife, he said, I, I'm just telling you now, I'm, I'm dealing with some temptations and I'm dealing with some demonic intrusion and oppression in my life and we got to do something about it. So the pastor's wife, she gets on the phone and she calls back to the church that they had gotten, had, that they had, had left. And, and uh, there was one of the elderly ladies there. This lady, I say elderly, she is in her 60s. That's not too elderly to mean much anymore. Uh, but anyways, the lady was in her 60s. And uh, this pastor's wife said, hey, here's what we're dealing with. And, and we want you to pray about this situation. And the lady said, okay, we'll pray a little while later, she calls her back. She said, hey, better yet, here's what we're going to do. It was this lady, and she had about three other ladies that were powerful intercessors. We're, we're going to get on a plane, and we're going to fly to where you're at, and we're going to come in there and support y'all with prayer. And uh, they were thrilled. They said, we, we, that's what we want. And so they met them at the airport. When they got to the airport, now here's where... I, I'm comfortable with this. You may not be, but I'm Pentecostal, and I'm comfortable with this. <coughs> and got them off the plane, and they started back heading toward the church and, and the parsonage. And the, the, I'm going to call her the chief. The chief spoke up, and she said, look. She said, do you mind stopping at, at, at the hardware store? It's like, yeah, what, what do you need at the hardware store? We, we need some paint. We get a can of paint. And uh, he said, all right, well, you, well, you need a can of paint. He said, I'll tell you about it uh, in a little while. So she went in the, in, the, in the Ace Hardware and got in there and got some paint and some other cleaning paraphernalia and come out. And uh, they got to the parsonage and they changed clothes. They said, all right, we're ready to work. And uh, 
I said, all right, where are we going to start? I said, well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take this can of spray paint and uh, we're fixing to walk the perimeter of this property here. And uh, every post, every fence post, they got down on their knees and they, they sprayed a, a band of red paint around the bottom of those. Uh, now, I know this seems so foolish to folks that don't believe in this kind of stuff, but, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something to what Moses said about anointing things in the tabernacle. And, and I'm just going to tell you this. If, if you don't have one of these, I, I've got a few of them left uh, here. There's a bottle of oil that you ought, to, you ought to have this stuff poured all through your house. It ought to be everywhere in your house. And, uh, and what they did was so they, they sprayed that red paint and she said, here's the deal. This red paint is symbolic of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They went around the perimeter of that place. They said, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into church. Now again, this church was built in the 60s. A lot of churches back in that time had windows and they let the windows up, opened the doors out. They got brooms. They got mops. They got ammonia. They went to sweeping. They went to mopping and the whole time praying and speaking in tongues while they were doing that. The pastor and his wife said what are y'all doing? Said we're sweeping the spirits out of, out of this place. When they got through with the church then they moved over to the parsonage and they'd done the very same thing in that parsonage and it was at that moment that that pastor said that all of the temptation and all the demonic intrusion that it was broken in that church and that church took off. They ended up having to build a new building because the Lord said revival. What is that about? It was about the atmosphere. It was about what was going on in that church. What was going on in that home. I want to tell the church here tonight that if you need to go home and clean out your house and get rid of the influence that you may have opened your life up to. I'm going to tell you something. There are things that happen Let's all stand. There are things that happen. You say, that's so radical. Listen to me. We are living in radical days. We're, we're living in radical times. You say, oh, oh, that's so foolish. You, you know what? I, I'm just going to tell you this. The wisdom of God is always going to look foolish to the carnal eyes and to unsanctified eyes in, the, in this world. But I'm going to tell you, men, what you ought to do if you cut your own grass, that every time you make a loop in your yard, then the perimeter of that yard, and I've done that at our house for years, then while I'd be cutting the grass, I would be praying. God preserve my marriage preserve my wife preserve my children why is that? because I wanted to walk in a place of spiritual authority I didn't want the world to shred my family I didn't want the world to shred my children and listen to me church if you can do what John Paul and Brittany have done and if you can do what the Sims have done now brother Sims talked about he loved Hank Williams Jr. 
And he said, I'm just going to tell you, Brother Harrelson, there were things I got involved in back in the 80s. He said, I'd listen to that. He said, we drink beer. We do all that nonsense. He said, but when I got the Holy Ghost, he said, I gave everyone those CDs away. He said, I got rid of hundreds of dollars of that stuff. He said, because I didn't want it getting a hold of me in my life. That is the dilemma of fretting leprosy. Listen to me, church. You You can't let those voices infiltrate your home and not expect it to influence your marriage and influence your life. I'm going to tell you, I wish all of you just step out from where you're at. to lift your hands and I want you just to start to worship the Lord and I'm going to pray that he's going to bring things to your mind because it was the grace and mercy of God that whenever Moses said when you get in your house here's what I want you to look for I want you to look for the streaks of red it's indicative of things you need to get rid of We can rebuild the house. We can't rebuild your soul. Let's talk to the Lord. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you would work and intervene, God, in our lives and in our hearts. you to fill up your home with praise and worship music I want you to do that maybe even you need to go to your kitchen table and your desk and just open up a Bible and just leave it open in your house and say Lord you've got to sanctify this place Lord I feel your power and your strength at church when there's something that's missing in my home Lord, I pray tonight, let there be a revival in our homes. Help us, Jesus, to pray with a sense of authority. Help us, Lord, to know that there's power in the name of Jesus. 